Welcome to the Compliance Expert Radio Show, your source for the latest information on corporate governance, internal audit, stocks and risk management services, with in-depth interviews, discussions and insights from leading experts. Hosted by Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum. This is the Compliance Expert Radio Show. And now, here is your host, Sonia Luna. Hi, I'm Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum, an internal audit and compliance consulting firm headquartered in sunny Los Angeles, California. I'm also a speaker and writer on topics like COSO 2013, SOX 404, quality assessment reviews, internal auditing, and related topics. Today's interview is with John Livingston. John Livingston is a senior IT auditor at Medical Mutual. He has over 20 years of experience in accounting, financial analysis, internal audit, enterprise risk management, and IT operations. Previously, John worked for eight years in the IT operations of Rockwell Automation, which is a Fortune 500 company. He has extensive experience in designing, implementing, and managing idle processes, including IT change, problem, incident, and configuration management. John is a certified information system auditor. For those of you who keep forgetting, it's CISA. It's a, he also has a Lean Six Sigma black belt and holds certifications in IDLE and COBIT. Welcome, John. Hello, Sonia. Thanks for having me on your show. We are really excited to have you. I know you've been on the uh, speaking circuit, and we were uh, very fortunate to kind of nab a little bit of your time. And one of the things I wanted to kind of get input from you is some of the things I've noticed, which is in in recent major headlines, we're noticing a lot of uh, bad PR, basically, surrounding cybersecurity. And I wanted to get your thoughts on what should a a compliance professional do, really, to stay on top of this, you know, ever-changing set of IT risks? Well, Sonia, you're right that you don't have to look further than the news headlines to see all the data breaches that are occurring lately at major banks and retailers. My suggestion is when you hear about these headlines, try and find a more technical write-up of what happened in an IT or IT security trade journal. Then do some follow-up to make sure whatever vulnerabilities were described in the article, make sure that those don't apply to your organization. And then finally, after that, it's a good idea to update your chief audit executive on what you found in case the audit committee has questions. It's kind of like creating a bridge from the technical stuff into the practical stuff that, you know, the internal audit groups need. And I really like the fact that you've mentioned that the, the major headlines hitting, let's say, um, the Huffington Post or maybe the Wall Street Journal, they, they're just kind of gleaming, right, the big picture stuff and, mm-hmm. and some of it's, you know, let's let's face it, it's, it's to sell papers, right, or it's to sell subscriptions. So the meat of the or the source of the issue, um, you really do need to look at those trade journals to find out, well, what, what exactly happened at the point of sale system, right? Um, was it a timing issue, um, a batch processing, you know, error? 
And those trade journals really are going to give you a bigger source of how, like, what really went wrong um, in, in those breaches, and, and not something that's, let's say, put out in Wall Street Journal. It just it creates a buzz, but the meat you really do need to dig deeper into something more technical to make sure that it's not going to happen to your organization and then create that bridge of communication, you know, to the uh, audit executives, which which I'm glad that um, you're a big fan of, of bridging that because sometimes we see two silos. You know, <laughs> we've got the financial type auditors and then we've got the IT ops people saying, you know, we're, we're busy supporting systems and so forth. But we we do need that collaboration to make best of breed in terms of our organizations. Yes, and uh, and getting that uh, the buy-in from the chief audit executive and the audit committee is so very important because whatever initiatives your IT department comes up to bridge those gaps, if there are any, they're going to need some sort of support uh, in order to get resources and capital. So it's uh, it's very important to communicate. Yeah, and you you get way better uh, buy-in when they really get a good grasp of what the problem is or how it how it occurred and. Um, what what's interesting I've noticed is uh, some of these chief audit executives do have some IT audit staff, but give me your take of, of why should an auditor learn how to audit the IT processes of incident, problem, configuration, and change management? Well, Sonia, executives are increasingly asking internal audit to not just provide provide assurance services, but to also have an improvement orientation, including process improvement and the sharing of best practices. Now, most IT people are great at the technology, but not so great on the process and control side. That's where we come in as auditors. We can help the IT department improve their processes. As an example, one organization could have the best IT security system but that could, that could be undone with one authorized change. So too often IT departments focus too much on the technology and not enough on the process and controls. So as an auditor who is knowledgeable about incident, problem, configuration, and change management, you could be seen by the IT department as helping them achieve a vision of where they want to be next year or a few years down the road, rather than someone who is just constantly writing up audit findings on them. So regardless of how your internal audit department is currently viewed within the organization, that process improvement mindset could go a long way in improving the reputation of internal audit. Right, and, and, you know, doing what what, uh, internal auditors sometimes um, have problem doing sometimes is is the value-add stuff, you know, and and not understanding the actual process of it, it, it ends up being a, a pretty big deal. And and you're right, the the IT department loves to get a shiny new little toy or piece of technology. And and they love to play with it, but when you get to like the owner's manual, right, like what this thing is actually capable of and Mm -hmm. not capable of, you know, they might gleam over that quick start guide, but they never get into the meat of the actual manual. And so, it is up to the you know internal audit department to kind of get together and go well wait let's take a step back at the fifty thousand foot level and figure out what what exactly is the process here and what's what's the problem that that this 
um, added technology is really trying to solve and, and how do you independently and objectively prove that model out, you know, that it actually is doing what it's, you know, created or intended to do and and putting our, you know, uh, critical thinking hat on and evaluating those pieces of technology, not just for the shiny new thing that, you know, is the latest and greatest or has great marketing buzz, but looking at the process of how it's going to be implemented and, and leveraged within, you know, the organization. Um, I wanted to, to kind of share something that I think our audience would would uh, really appreciate, which is getting your opinion, you know, in terms of the, what what do you see as the definition of incident management and explain just a few high-level activities that must be done well for incident management to really be successful? Sure, sure. So I'll start with the definition of an incident, which is an unplanned interruption to or reduction in quality of an IT service. And an example of an IT service would be email, VPN remote access, a business application, access to a shared drive, et cetera. Those are all IT services. An incident is also a failure of a configuration item that is not yet affected service. And configuration items are simply IT assets such as servers, databases, applications. So in layman's terms, an incident is an IT outage, such as an application is down and users can't access their shared drive. Incidents can also be minor items, such as when an individual end user gets an error message when using Microsoft Word. So some key activities for incident management include prioritizing incidents as low, medium, high, and emergency, and then establishing service-level agreements, such as medium incidents need to be resolved in two business days. A high incident needs to be resolved in four business hours, an emergency in two business hours. Then you run metrics for each of the various resolver groups, such as the IT help desk, desk side support, server support, to see how they are meeting those service level agreements. And uh, another important high level activity is to manage the overall cost of incident management. So, um, so level one would be the help desk, level two might be the desk side support, level three would be server support. And so to resolve a uh, incident ticket, at the help desk might be $10. At level two, the desk side, it might be $75 to $80. At level three, server support, it might be $150. And the idea is that you try and influence your end user uh, behavior to use lower and lower levels of sub support, thereby uh, lowering the overall cost of incident management. So, for example, in Instead of uh, somebody tapping a desk site technician on the shoulder and saying, hey, can you come to my cubicle? I've, I've got this problem here. Encourage that end user to call the help desk. Maybe they can solve the problem at a lower cost. Or instead of somebody calling the help desk, encourage those end users to go to a web page for end user uh, self-service support. And maybe they can uh, solve that incident for a lot less. So, it's not a one-size-fits-all strategy. You need to be careful about your end-user groups. Uh, typically, uh, younger employees are more comfortable with using uh, self-service than older employees. 
Uh, one more concept around incident management is uh, some metrics. And you want to uh, measure the productivity of your uh, IT help desk agents, but you also want to measure the quality. So doing some, some monitoring is very important. Look at the quality of their tickets. Uh, you, you listen in on some of their phone calls and see how their customer service skills are because you might have uh, 500 IT employees. Those 10 or 15 people on the help desk are the face of IT to your end users. And so their customer service skills are more important than their technical skills. Yeah, I really appreciate that customer service element to it um, because I've often gone to different conferences and um, some of the the just people skills. <laughs> people assume when they get into, let's say, the IT auditing profession, et cetera, um, or just IT ops, uh, that it's it's mainly working with systems or equipment, et cetera, and it's actually quite the opposite. It's you actually need really, really good people skills because you, you are servicing a lot of different customers. You know, it could be a department um, and users. It could be desktop support related items. But it's, at the end of the day, it's still a human being. So um, I've noticed that when um, back in my recruiting days, when I, when I would help uh, my old firm at ENY Recruit. It, it wouldn't be just the person with the best, best top grades, but it was a person who could actually articulate and come across very um, collected, very um, concise, and very thoughtful because they were going to be the face of of audit. And so, like you said, if, if you have someone in the help desk, it, they are the face of IT, um, and you want them to put their best foot forward in front of the customer, right? And I like the the added cost. So um, could you kind of go into detail or a little bit in terms of the explanation of those dollar thresholds? Do you typically see that the organization, let's say the IT department works with the finance department to come up with those dollar thresholds, or is that something that um, the IT department comes up with those dollar thresholds so that they can at least put some type of price tag to measure? I mean, how, how does that normally um, get created uh, in, in some of the uh, companies that you've worked with. Sure. Well, um, typically, typically it's uh, uh, the the help desk or the IT department will come up with those calculations. Uh, for the for the uh, help desk, it's basically the they just take the salaries of the entire department and divide it by the number of tickets they get on a monthly or, or annual basis. So it's a pretty pretty straightforward calculation there. And then um, you can do the same thing with second-tier desk side support and uh, even even third-tier um, uh, applica- or application or server support. And um, typically all, all that's involved in resolving incidents, it's typically a labor factor uh, usually it's not they have to spend capital on something so that's that makes it uh, straightforward but again if you have if you have a sophisticated cost accounting department that can support IT uh, that's 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 very valuable although I find that's the exception rather than the rule 
Yeah, but it's a, it's a good. So what I gathered is it's not that hard to come up with a number to, to at least a metric to measure by. I mean, of course, it could be augmented later, but it it's I find that, you know that suggestion very useful because it also highlights let's let's say there's a core training problem. You know, it, it's there's this ticketing. Uh, or a series of tickets within XYZ group, you follow, and it, it's surrounding ABC software or um, access or something. It it helps it uh, uh, it helps the organization actually figure out well what's really going on, um, and then putting a price tag allows uh, the organization to really um, put value to solving the problem. Right, because without saying what does it really cost to actually get this thing fixed, it's it's hard to say what the value is. I mean, there's going to be some intangibles like you know employee morale, et cetera. But putting a price tag is very helpful, I think, to an organization to figure out. Well, wait a minute. There's probably there there. Let's really dig deeper as to what's going on with not only the quantity but the the types of tickets that are being submitted. Um, yes. Yeah. So I wanted to switch gears about uh, something near and dear to my heart, which is the internal audit department. <laughs> and something that I've noticed um, lacks when when there's really not a good technical person on the team. So what, in your opinion, you know, how good of a job do you think internal audit departments add value when they're reviewing, you know, the IT general controls, but over incident management? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a good question, and I would say it depends how sophisticated the organization's incident management process is. My view is the incident management process carries less risk to the organization than, say, change or configuration management. Mm-hmm. Incident management, including the IT help desk, like I said earlier, is the face of IT to the rest of the organization, and therefore, they're usually quite good at surveying their customers or end users and improving their process. Uh, in general, when I audit any IT process, I first try to determine where they are on a process maturity scale from level one through level five. My audit approach then would be to bump them up the maturity scale one or two levels. And I find the IT process owners respond very well to this maturity model approach because, as I mentioned previously, you're showing them a vision and a roadmap of where their process could be in the future. Yeah. No, yeah, I like that visual aid because um, I've seen those maturity models. Some some of them are like 1 to 10, but I've seen the 1 through 5 more often um, used. And you're right, it gives them a target. It gives them a visual aid. Well, look, I came out last year and we felt you were at a maturity of X, number, three, what have you, and or two. We really want to bump you up to this other level, and we think that this is going to be the best level um, that you can achieve within a 12-month period of time, and this is how you can get there. Because otherwise, most um, people who do get audited feel like, okay, what are they going to find this time? You know, or what are they right, going to catch yeah. me doing wrong now? And this is just an exercise for somebody to, you know, put put a bunch of audit programs together without really adding a lot of value and more importantly telling them where they stand. Um, and I also have found in, in practice if you can benchmark to some other organization and say your peer group 
which is close to your size does XYZ. This is where they're at. And and typically I get that information from just, you know, going uh, networking and attending different conferences. And you can kind of peek through different people's um, departments by asking them, well, you know, where do you think you guys are? And um, mm-hmm. some folks at conferences actually do share that information. And it's great to tell an IT department like, hey, you know, this type of company not too you know within within the same state actually is at this mature this level of maturity and that actually gets more people motivated as well saying well wait a minute why are they at this level or to give kudos where kudos are, are due which is saying hey you know we're doing a great job and uh, hopefully senior management can see that as well in in, in the department yes yes and it it changes the conversation it it takes away that black box effect of, of internal audit where uh, the auditee just has no idea what's what they're going to come up with next. So you have that maturity scale, and, and they buy into it, and everybody wants to be proud of what they do. And this gives them a vision of where they could be in the future, so they, they really respond to that. Uh, right. And the other, the other thing I try and do is uh, I try and uh, be very transparent with the risk matrix, so I list the risks and controls, and I give that to the auditee as a draft uh, very early in the uh, in the audit process, and we we sort of build that together, agreeing on the risks and controls. And I find uh, that that gets a lot of buy-in from the auditee as well. Oh, it's a huge buy-in, and it also lets them know. Like, if there's a key risk that let's say is missing, it's a great conversation to say, well. You know, we sat down before we got into the depths of, of the audit program. You know, you, you knew kind of what was what we perceived as risk. Is there anything new that you think is missing? Or better yet, um, the description of these risks. I mean, should they be more elaborate or should they be, you know, does it seem like maybe they're too chunked together? I've seen IT risk where it's it's written in such a way that it looks like it's two sentences you follow, and, and it should have been two separate risks or three separate risks, and, and that's a good conversation with, with the IT folks before you audit them and just say, look, you know, if, this, if you really think that there's one particular item within this risk that really should be separated out, I mean, now's a good time to, to talk about it because they may have a control that they think is more important than the actual control that was mapped to it. Um, and that's especially helpful if you're a brand new auditor is to get that dialogue and give them those those risk and control matrix ahead of time, um, especially before field work. Because then, then right when you're in field work, it's like you're collecting, you know, data and 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 you're starting to pick your samples. So it's a good conversation. It's a good um, equalizer, if you will, of communication because they know where you're headed. They know that they they had at least a, an opportunity to be part of the process of what needs to be audited and the risks related to that, um, you know, the audit program. It's a it's a good opener. And I wanted to kind of switch gears a little bit on on, uh, on the definitions because we talked about you know incident management already, and I wanted to get your thoughts of what is the difference between incident and problem management and what are those you know high level activities that are are necessary for a successful problem management process sure so remember that an incident is an unplanned interruption to or reduction in the quality of an IT service 
a problem is the cause of one or more incidents. So you may have multiple incidents with the same root cause, but that fact may not be evident because these incidents may be occurring over days or weeks or months. So once you do discover that they are related to one root cause, um, you relate all those incident records to one problem record, and if you have an automated tool, it can support that. And then you you enter one change record to correct that. And so the value in problem management is not resolving the same incidents over and over and over again. And there's a quote from the Visible Ops uh, handbook that says, high-performing IT organizations spend less than 5% of their time on unplanned or or urgent work or firefighting, whereas a typical IT organization spend 35 to 45 percent of their time on unplanned, urgent work and, and firefighting. So, uh, problem management and these other these other uh, IT processes will will help move you down that road. And uh, there's two types of problem management. One is reactive, and one is proactive. So in reactive problem management, uh, these are kind of high in emergency incidents that, that come in through the help desk, and it's all hands on desk, all, all hands on deck until they're uh, finished or, or resolved. Whereas proactive problem management, let's say you have your configuration management database, and it lists all the configuration items. Remember, those are application servers, databases, etc. And so you'll... Uh, so you'll list those, so the configuration item with the highest number of incidents at the top all the way all the way down, and you'll just open up problem records on those. Why does this configuration item have so many incidents? It might be legitimate. It might be a large application that a lot of end users um, use. And uh, but sometimes you'll you'll find things. So that's that's proactive problem management where you do more of a Pareto analysis. So reactive problem management will catch more the high and emergency uh, incidents, whereas proactive problem management will catch the low and medium incidents, which tend to fly under the radar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I would make I would probably guess that the an organization that has a high degree of maturity to to have a proactive problem management uh, system probably is in that top 5% that we were talking about earlier which is you know where they where where do they really spend their time and energy and and I would go further that that part of the pyramid if you will that top 5% uh, is probably one of the you know one of the organizations that embrace uh, uh, a you know lean six sigma concept and they actually, you know, do as as they say they should be doing every single day. You know, you take a look at like GE or IBM, et cetera. And they have a lot of individuals that have these types of certifications and they take these things seriously and they act upon them. Um, but it it does take a culture to really enact that and to get to that, you know, top tier, if you will. Yes, yes, and uh, and all the all these uh, these IT processes I mentioned can contribute to that. So, for example, uh, change management 
Uh, there's a quote from a Gartner vice president, and she said, um, 80% of unplanned outages are caused by people and process issues, including poor change management, whereas only 20% are caused by IT failures and disasters. And so what that means is a lot of times IT organizations are shooting themselves in the foot because they don't test a change before it goes into production. They don't communicate with the business or, or, or the rest of IT about a change going in. And they don't take lessons learned and try and improve their change success rate over time. So uh, again, a lot of these a lot of these processes are related and support each other. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, it's it it's like uh, would you go parachuting out of a, a plane without a, a parachute, right? It's like, well, of course not. Okay, then why is it that when we know when we don't test something in a test environment and put it into production, we're just kind of crossing our fingers. Hey, I hope this when it goes live, it's okay. Um, we know what can happen. You know, it it, it you, you wouldn't those safety precautions are there in place, but it's sometimes people um, get so comfortable in a certain position. And you're right, I think IT departments sometimes shoot themselves in the foot. And, and those percentages you were mentioning, I, I would definitely say that there's a, a bunch of other data points that support that as well. Um, well, this has been a very insightful interview, John, and I'm confident our listeners got a lot of value hearing, you know, about IT risks and, and more importantly, the ways to mitigate them and those, you know, uh, successful activities that should happen. So I want to thank you again for coming on our Compliance Expert Radio Show. All right. Well, uh, Sonia, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum, signing off.